0: Dear listener and fellow story lover, As this is the beginning of Holy Week and we will soon be celebrating Easter, this opinion piece, which has a sermon or homily feel to it, felt appropriate. Additionally, the language and cadence of the writing is rather lovely, albeit a little unfamiliar at times. I hope you enjoy this week's Stories from Before. The Larger Vision Some Easter Thoughts Written by Anne Brian McCall Read by Selina Cadell By permission of the Lutterworth Press Music by Stacey Weir I remember seeing when I was a child the lace makers in Belgium working at the lovely patterns of lace on little cushions to which the lace was pinned Their hands moving deftly the innumerable bobbins The younger ones had good enough eyesight it seemed "'and they looked up at you and smiled. "'But the older ones spent more and more nearsighted over the little cushion, "'and when they looked up, their poor old eyes, you knew, could hardly see you, "'and with reason enough, there was no smile to greet you. "'So long, so long, so many years had they looked no farther "'than the little cushion in their laps.' So long had they bent over them and adjusted their eyes only to that near-sight, so that they had become, as we say, near-sighted. And in time, they told me, most of them became blind. If we look continuously at one object for several minutes without changing the focus of our vision, when we come to look off to the horizon, the lines of it will look blurred and indistinct, And the same may be said, I think, of the mind's vision, the intellect, what Shakespeare calls the mind's eye. The mind, which adjusts itself too continuously to the near and small, in time comes to see the large and distant, but indistinctly. And as with the eye of the body and the eye of the mind, so the truth applies no less, I am sure, to the eye of the spirit, If we allow the spirit, that is, to dwell too long on the near, the personal, the selfish, if we keep it fixed persistently on our own lives, it then no longer sees with clearness other lives, large matters, and larger needs of more spiritual import. One thing it seems important to remember, the larger aspect is always there for us to look to. It never fails us. It is we who fail to raise our eyes to it. We keep our own eyes, too continuously, on our own work. This is all very well, you think, but the work is nevertheless at times so heavy, the day is often so tired. But, oh, never is the day so tired, but the sun sets in gentleness or glory at the end of it, and the stars come out after the task is done. But some of you will tell me that your tasks must be done among unlovely surroundings, that you have no hills to which to raise your eyes. I know. I know. But we forget that our surroundings, however unlovely, are the near. And outside of these somewhere is the far. We cannot rob life of that. It is always there. And when it is not there within reach of the body's vision, the mind may see and the spirit perceive, and the soul have sight of it. For there is no task so near or exacting, or so intensely personal, but the far laps it round, as the sea borders and surrounds our island, or the ether, the earth we live on. The Deeper Meanings But whereas this lifting of the eyes to larger aspects is a beautiful and satisfying thing, there is still another interpretation, and a more spiritual one, of the larger vision, and I would like to speak of that. I mean that practice of the mind and heart, which allows us to see not only other and larger views, but deeper meanings, which enables us to detect beauty in things which may at first seem unbeautiful, and goodness in things which may at first sight seem lacking every desirable quality. None of us will think, I hope, that I mean that false optimism, which is the frequent practice of weak and insincere minds. None of you will suppose that, when I urge you to look for beauty in things that seem unbeautiful, I mean that we are to cheat ourselves, or to ignore evil, or imagine that which is not. When I speak as I have spoken, I have in mind, of course, that beauty, however little it may be, and that true goodness, however small, in things which at first, or at too close and personal range of vision, seem wholly unbeautiful, wholly evil. That which nearby may seem to you ugly or unlovely takes on new values and relations at a distance this suffering and this difficulty so close and personal in our lives, if we could but see them from a distance, might even seem to have some goodness, might even, believe me, be seen to add some loveliness, some sense of power and strength, and even of tenderness to the landscape of our lives. While it lay near to us, it seemed only rugged and rough and hard to surmount, or only bleak and barren and without meaning. Change and Transformation T.E. Brown has, in a very beautiful poem called The Schooner, given the same idea with great poetic beauty. In the first verses, the schooner is lying lubberly at the quay, a sea-worn and even ugly vessel overrun by rough seamen who load her with dingy and unlovely cargoes, who noise about her deck with brawl and coarse jest. The oily and ugly waters of the quay lap at her sides, and she lurches in them, awkward and clumsy. Then, in a little while, the dingy sails are hauled and set, and she starts, staggering a bit upon her course. Then the open sea takes her at last, takes her to itself. The winds fill her canvas. The great and gentle distance comes step by step Between her and the shore. She is beginning to be far away now. She has become a friend of sea and sky and clouds. The sun slants on her sails, white, now they shine, like wings of seagulls on the waters. And lo, she has become a thing of wonder and romance. She has become lovely to see, desirable to look upon, a ship of beauty and of dreams, changed, transformed a vessel and a symbol for the spirit. The near and busy and brawling life of the shore of which she was a part is left behind. She has become a part of that larger vision of the sea, which never loses its beauty. She has gone upon her course, and her destiny lies yonder between the gates of the fire-breathed morning. And here, you will notice, is no mere fancied thing, but essentially a truth. The distance, which in the light words of the poet lends enchantment, is but the larger, wider view and quite as real a thing as the near and the unlovely. Change and transformation are taking place all the while. They are nothing new under the moon. We know well enough how all things change, how life takes on new and lovelier aspects. It is almost too old to talk about, a real commonplace with us. And yet, let but change come to us, let but transformation touch our intimate lives, and we mourn. We sigh over these difficulties, these sorrows and troubles we call them, which shall bloom in other days and bear fruit of wisdom and comfort in future years. We see failure in our own days, and we look for no flowering. What would the seed say if it could think and speak, yet had not the larger vision, What would it say to the weeks, perhaps months of darkness, it who had dreamed of bearing a flower in the sun? But once it knew, once it had the larger vision, can you not see? The larger vision is but a name for so many things, for charity, for love, for understanding. All our crudeness, our cruelties and our bitter regrets come from the narrow, near vision. If I had only known if I'd only done differently, only understood better, if we had only had, in other words, a larger vision. It was not merely pity that Christ had when he prayed that those who had wronged him might be forgiven, for they know not what they do. It was more than pity. It was full understanding and the larger vision that he had. He saw ignorance more than malice, saw pitiful blindness in those who could see no farther than their own nearby hatreds, their own narrow religious ideas, their own superstitions and prejudices. They crucified him on the charge that he had not acted in accordance with their narrow religious ideas. He knew all this. He knew well that their eyes were never lifted to the hills. He knew they must go stumbling all their days, nearsighted, groping, And so he prayed that they might be forgiven, not held responsible, no more than you would hold blind men responsible for stumbling and hurting others as they fell. But while this is the Christ-like and noble attitude towards all those who harm us or who harm those we love, there remains for us a duty even more large than that of forgiveness. I mean the duty of seeing that our own eyesight does not become dull from too close and too selfish an application to our own lives and too close a dwelling on our own wishes. Blindness in others we may forgive, but oh, there is one blindness we must not pardon our own. It is for us to seek out, day by day, the things that make us blind and to cultivate that which gives us the larger vision, to remember that selfishness is the near. Unselfishness the distant, that unforgiveness is the near, forgiveness and understanding the distant, and finally, that doubt is the near, and faith the distant. The Festival of Faith And this is the Festival of Faith, this springtime festival that we celebrate each year, and faith means clear, far vision. We speak of blind faith, but there is none such. For faith sees farther and better than all around. Faith sees always the larger, less personal and the unselfish issue. The event which means so much to us personally is usually the one that blinds us. It was undoubtedly the close personal grief of her Lord's death which kept Mary of Magdala from seeing the risen Christ and the disciples on the way to Emmaus in the dusk who saw him and knew him not. And then that cry of theirs after he was gone. Their eyes might have failed them, yes, but their hearts. Why did not our hearts burn within us? For hearts should see sometimes, even when eyes cannot. It is the clearer, larger vision of the mind and heart, which knows and recognises, however dusk it may be in our own lives, the presence of the noble and beautiful and heart-desired things. They are there, always there. I do not mean that we shall never be overwhelmed with grief, never a prey to doubt. It would be an affectation to think we could deport ourselves like gods. The old perplexities will come, but in the midst of these, if we will but remember the larger vision, that is all. For life nearby and life at the distance of the larger vision are different things. Here close to us some sorrow bows us, Some flower we have cherished in the garden of our lives is bent by too rude a wind. But there at a distance, the heavens are new washed and glorious, and the rainbow, that flower of the storm, is bent in coloured beauty across them. To raise our eyes oftener from these intimate tasks and to see all that lies outside our so personal lives, this and the Spirit's gaze fixed more often on the unfailing, abiding beauty and meaning of life. This is what we need. And when discouragement too long assails us, it may be guessed we have ignored these, and when some sorrow too powerfully overcomes us, it may be known we have lost sight of them. The end. I hope you enjoyed this fitting discourse for the coming Easter season. Out of interest, you may like to search for T.E. Brown's poem, The Schooner. Please subscribe or follow this podcast and share it with your family and friends. I hope you enjoy a lovely Easter if you celebrate it, and I look forward to being with you next week when I again share stories from before.